You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. Whew. So I feel like... Um, I don't know. Wait, for wait, me, this... the, 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 the functional nerd verse or the functional nerd verse? You know, you know what? You need to just stop. This man right here. You just you need to stop. Um, so this is this is poor behavior, and you're making our guest feel like an outsider before things even start with the inside jokes where she doesn't know what's going on. This is poor manners, and you need to apologize to Fonda Lee right now. Okay, I'm I'm not gonna. We're not doing the show until you apologize to Fonda Lee. For think, trying to make an Tracy, embarrassment, I think Tracy is trying to get a little upset, Fonda, because she she flubbed it uh, a few weeks ago, really and instead of saying nerds, she said nards, <laughs> and I'm teasing her. It wasn't I, during I, the intro, though. Like it wasn't <laughs> like I flubbed it in the intro. It was deep in the episode. People were committed at that point. Nards sounds like some sort of delicious little junk food candy. That oh, it could, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, a, like you know, probably it does sound slightly Rocky Mountain oysters adjacent. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna say, yeah, <laughs> has a little bit of that thing to it. Too. Well, now that you put that in my mind, I don't think I'm gonna get it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Well, that was what we call in baseball an unforced error. So, um, yeah. And, so, finally, there there are places in Colorado where you can go and get that if you. Something yes, good. yes, there are. Um, that was that was not part of our Colorado experience there last year, and I'm I'm good with that. Um, I, <laughs> I haven't really filed that away with my regrets. So. We could we so, could have got something and told the kids that it was Rocky Mountain oysters and just uh, yeah, like if we just wanted it, like it's actually mozzarella yeah. sticks. We're like, you can't have yeah. these; these are balls. <laughs> it's not, you would be very unhappy. This is definitely. I'm just remembering my my mom uh, trying to get my nephew to eat menudo, and oh, and he, okay. he 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 he's like, oh, I don't like this. What is this? What? Is, and she said, it's shark. And he said, ooh, shark. And then he just started eating it. <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna prove that I hate this. Yeah. And then I'm he's telling win. all his friends. Then he's telling all his friends, I ate shark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was some A plus uh, parenting adjacent moves there, though. So that's um, I'm good with that. I'm very Reminds me of like that. a Calvin and Hobbes comic, you know, when when yeah. Calvin's mom is like, it's brains, and he's like, really? <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. I'm ready for the brains. All about the new experiences. So speaking of, so I'm, now I'll, I'll let you yeah. do a segue. Yeah, sure. Well, that's, that's, you know, the, we have to make sure that we beat the horses all to death. Every last one of them before segues. Can happen. <laughs> so I'm really delighted to have uh, Fonda Lee on because um, I've kind of sort of slightly been angry at you for the last like four years for writing the absolutely amazing Greenbone saga that is one of the so I, this is one of those situations where now I'm being the bad hostess um, and, and creating some awkwardness here but um, as you may or may not remember Fonda several years ago when you were nominated for the Nebula Awards um, in Pittsburgh uh, we were both headed out the same day after the awards ceremony and you needed a ride to the to the um, airport and I was going right then so we just hopped in the same lift together and ended up chatting and I turned around and made it weird for you because like I'm mad at you fondly you were like, <laughs> I, re- I even, do remember this person. right and like who even is this person I'm like I'm mad because there's books where you're like I wish I could have written something this good. And also like the characters getting into the conflicts with one another that they get into, you cannot bring yourself to side with anyone because you can, you are furious at them for being in conflict with one another, but you also understand why they have the positions that they have. And then you did that for like two more fucking books. Um, (laughs) So now I feel sort of like I'm in this place of, of like, intellectual and psychological cleansing because we're having you on for untethered sky a completely not green bone saga book Mm -hmm. um but it's also in that theme of like all about the new things this is this is fun and interesting and i it's obviously not not fonda lee because it's your book but it's also very much you doing stuff which feels like it's it's a reach for you it's different mm-hmm. you know there's not a martial arts kind of tie-in in a direct sense here uh, we have this sort of fantasy manticore rock 
Indian and uh, Middle Eastern adjacent sort of mythology going on. It's just it feels like you're really kind of stretching out here a little bit and saying, all right, what what can I do now that I am the type of writer that I am? So, all right, get tell people about Untethered Sky, which I'm currently reading from my local library and and I'm adoring. Well, thanks for having me on the show, first of all. And I absolutely do remember that taxi ride back to to the airport. And it was like kind of the perfect way to finish off that con, I remember, um, was having that little conversation with you and and feeling, okay, gosh, somebody's like enjoying what I'm writing. Um, and so when I finished like the Greenbone saga, to your point, exactly, um, I had just spent about a decade of my life in this world and with these characters and with the call family. And so I just felt very, it was a very better, bittersweet feeling. We need to see other people. That trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and plus Jade Legacy, which was the third book in the trilogy was my pandemic book. So I was writing that during 2020 and it, it, it was just, it was a lot emotionally um, to, to bring that trilogy to a close. Um, and then there was a novella that came afterwards and there's a short story collection that's coming out this summer, but then that's pretty much it. Um, and so um, coming out of that and f- going to a different world, I mean, I really just wanted to basically do the opposite of what I had done with the Greenbone Saga in that um, I had all these uh, different creative objectives um, with Untethered Sky than I did with um, this big, sprawling epic fantasy in the Greenbone Saga. Um, and the origin story of Untethered Sky, um, which I've been describing as a wildlife um, wilderness adventure memoir with monsters, is that I was in um, Dublin, Worldcon, several years ago. It was 2019. And I, at that point, I was working on the Greenbone saga deep into it. And I had a breakfast with um, a Tor.com editor, Jonathan Strawn, who said, hey, did you ever consider writing a novella for us? And I, at that point, I thought, you know, novellas are short. Short sounds <laughs> fantastic. So, good. so great. Uh, and so I started mulling on that idea. Um, and I got back to John and said, I, I, after I finished Greenbone Saga, I think I've got something that I, that I want to work on that's novella length. Um, and that particular project was an idea that I had had many years ago. So I've had um, for quite a while this fascination with falconry. And I had actually gone on a hawk walk with my family while I was in Ireland. We went on vacation um, after Worldcon. And I had read um, a memoir some while ago um, called H's for Hawk by Helen MacDonald which is a, a just beautifully written, fascinating memoir about this woman training a goshawk and dealing with grief. Um, and then I, I mean, I visited Raptor Centers. I watched this film that I really recommend called The Eagle Huntress um, about a Mongolian girl training a golden eagle. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just played with idea. The fantasy writer in me would take that sort of fascination and then amplify it in some speculative way. So um, I just started uh, playing with this idea of falconry, but in a fantastical setting in which the birds are mythical rocks out of legend and uh, they're hunting manticores, the man-eating beasts, um, because that is the only thing that can reliably kill one of these monsters. So um, the Greenbone Saga, you know, it's this huge book, big canvas, lots of characters, and Untethered Sky is this very focused, tight, single perspective story. Um, you know, Greenbone Saga's modern, urban um, alleyways and dark suits and sunglasses and, and submachine guns. And, and Untethered Sky is like wild open countryside, you know, ancient world, na- nature and monsters. And, um, you know, the, and then um, omniscient and, and multi-POV third person um, narrative with Greenbone Saga to like a very tight first person POV with Untethered Sky. So um, it was really me just stretching very different creative muscles. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a certain amount of, um, of I guess, uh, anxiety that you have after finishing a big project that, is, that you're kind of known for. Mm-hmm. And that becomes, you know, the, the, the thing that people associate with you. Um, and there's, it, it is it's tough either way to try and do something that either follows in that vein and replicates it 
or to strike off and do something different and wonder if people will follow you to it. So um, Untethered Sky uh, is, is you know, I think this, it is the second novella that I've written and I just really um, enjoyed working with a different length, you know, a different type of story. It's cool that, that Tor.com has a, an editor named Jonathan Strawn. I know a podcaster named Jonathan Strawn. <laughs> Do you? Do you oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what a coincidence. Hmm. Yes, never, never knew these things before. I love novellas. I, I, I love them because they're not short stories. Right. Because <laughs> right. for me, short stories are so hard to write. And, and so mm. I, I'll sit down to write a short story and then uh, when I'm done, look at it and go, oh, that's a really cool trilogy of novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how I feel about a lot of I, – I, my I think that a lot of writers have a natural medium or length that they gravitate to, to and I'm, yeah. I'm definitely a novelist. About 96% yeah. of my ideas are novel ideas. Every once in a while – a short story idea will come to me. But um, I'm with you in that short stories have always felt a bit like foreign to me. And even though I've written a number and I've, I've been anthologized, um, you know, and, but like it's, they they're are hard. still, they're, they're very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. a novella is still a work that has the bones of a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you a little bit more room that. to stretch. Yeah. Right. So, so to your point, you you've got people who gravitate towards short stories. Now you've got a lot of people writing novellas. Got a lot of people who are novelists, and then you've got you know Brandon Sanderson writing encyclopedias. Kinda. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, once you get, I think, into multiple, because I wrote a, a trilogy, and those are chonky books. Mm-hmm. Um, I after I finished that, I I. It was in awe of the novelists who managed to write like seven book series or 10 or 12 book <laughs> yeah. series. So yeah, there's definitely different scales once you get into the novel length. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and within series, regardless of the length of the individual units in the series, you, every book kind of becomes beholden in some way to the one before it. And you, you find your job growing more complicated and like, how do I, how is it that choices I made in my previous book have now collapsed certain choices that I now have here where like those options don't make sense anymore. Like I can't have this character go here or do these things because that's so much in contradiction of what I set up before or it's, and it's, I think it's, it's a tricky enterprise and we get into that whole discourse that, you know, has been around since long before George R. R. Martin, but he uses that whole idea of like the gardening versus architect sort of metaphor and other people have pantsers and plotters and so on. And I think that the novella may be one of the few forms that can reward both forms of writing equally, mm-hmm. both sort of strategies, where I think if you are if you're a pantser and you're in a novella, even if you pants the whole thing and have to go back and sort of tear out the, the seams and do redo the stuffing and the whole deal, it's not at the same scale. Right. And if you're a plotter, then... It, the same way, it's not at the same scale of intensity for the plotting. And so I think it's it's a very friendly length. It's friendly yeah. for readers as well. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting that you bring up, you know, the, the gardener versus architect um, metaphor for, uh, for writing style, because um, I definitely found that one of the um, refreshing but somewhat strange experiences with writing this novella was the fact that um, I didn't have to have the detailed outline, multiple spreadsheets, you know, enormous timeline that I did with the Greenbone Saga. I could hold the whole thing in my head. I'm very much an architect um, Mm -hmm. and I I do have in mind what I want like the final house to look like. And I don't have, you know, every little bit of the blueprint down, but I definitely know sort of where I'm going with the story. And um, with Untethered Sky, it was so, it was, the, the story itself is very easy to hold. And and so I almost had a, 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 a pantsing experience, which is like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's been yeah. a really weird, a pantsing experience. That's <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we're in context here. We get you, you know. It's, uh, we're far enough away from the opening involving Nards that I don't think there's any confusion likely to result. Um, I, I, it's like you for don't me, even know me. I mean. I could make so many terrible jokes. 
I'm holding back. You could. I mean, and to say nothing of the level level of trust I show in you as an editor, you know, like (laughs) the way that you could decouple and recouple the statements being made here. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hey. I can, I can, I, I will swear on a stack of Bibles that I never recorded John DiNardo at SF Signal uh, singing a song and then overlaid it on music and sent it back to him when he didn't realize I was doing it. Like, I, I can, I can swear that I never actually did that. Okay. Okay. You're like, you're saying you could do that. It, it is a, it is alternate universe. Patrick might've done uh-huh. that sort of thing, but not, yeah, not I, this I, universe. I totally Patrick. didn't do that. And then received an email from him saying, Oh my God, if you ever release that, I'll kill you. <laughs> I, I, Sounds like a, wow. like a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Sounds just like saying the beginning like, of a complex I, pact. I yeah. totally wouldn't take your words out of context and rearrange them in a, in a single track and do something with them. Definitely not. Oh, good. So everything's <laughs> fine now. <laughs> you, you, I can mention in fear of that for the rest of my life. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I decided to come on the podcast to talk about books, and now I have a vague threat of, of personal ruination. <laughs> right. Right. Thanks, functional nerds. <laughs> ten out of ten would recommend to friends. <laughs> you know, it's, you were talking about finishing up uh, the Greenbone Saga in the context of the pandemic, which whoa. Um, but then getting to sort of get the release of, of writing Untethered Sky. For the pandemic, for me, novellas became my go-to. Um, I was reading pretty much exclusively novellas through the course of the pandemic. And I think it was because I I couldn't incentivize myself to read short stories for reasons that don't make sense to me. I can't articulate why for whatever reason I wasn't I wasn't biting into short stories then. But novels definitely felt like... I cannot commit to that right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, it was also the fact that during the pandemic, I went a long time teaching virtually and not actually commuting to school and working in that way. And I do most of my leisure reading on audiobook. And so Mm -hmm. suddenly I don't have an hour and a half commuting time to plug a book into. Um, And so the idea of like, I had sort of untrained myself from sitting down physically with a book for hours at a time. But if the entire book itself is like two and a half hours, Let's do it. Like right, let's right. let you know, that suddenly became, and so I think it's we're and in an a interesting. Lot your, place, a lot of your picks were a lot of your picks were novellas during that. Time. Oh yeah, well, like during that whole weeks. period, you can kind of go back yeah, through yeah. through those episodes, and there's a whole run of like practically a dozen of them. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's certainly yeah. it's, it's had a moment. Yeah, and, I and mean, the, the, as you can say, that was also the rise of Tor.com's novella thing. So it, it kind of it, it had started before then, but I think it really it really picked up traction in the yeah. last five years, mm-hmm. which opened things up for you, Fonda. Right. I it, it's interesting. I actually tweeted this a little while ago. I said, now that I've written two, two two novellas, I know the number one pitfall of writing a novella, which is that people will complain it's a novella. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> why wasn't this longer? Right. Right. It is an interesting um, thing with novellas where. Because, as I mentioned before um, to Patrick, the novella has the bones of a novel. So mm-hmm. there are, um, you know, plenty of readers who, you know, ra- rather justifiably could say, well, this this could have been longer. This should have been longer. And like, you know, I, I wanted it to be longer. Like, I, I feel a little bit cheated now. Um, and I can I can understand that in the sense that because it has the structure of a novel, if you added a whole bunch of subplots, you did more with... Um, the story and padded it out, you absolutely could make a novel out of it. Um, but um, as a, an author, I think that's, that is a, that's both a, it's a judgment call, right? And it, it depends on the type of story and your goals um, for the story as to whether or not um, you, you want it to be a novel or you want to, it to be a novella. And I, I think some stories are really well suited to be novellas, even if they could technically be novels. Um, and so some you find that, I think I, I think there is this sort of polarization, um, Tracy, where some people love the novella length because they get the novel experience in a smaller package. And yeah. some people really resent it because what they wanted was they wanted a novel experience um, and they can see the potential that it could be a novel. Yeah. The yeah. author decided that it was going to be a smaller story. It, it's like it's it's like it's the it's a it's a TV show from the BBC. Right. <laughs> it's 13 episodes and Americans right. want 24. Yeah, right. I, well, maybe not anymore though. Yeah. Not in, not in it's a post streaming world. Yeah. It is changing. But I mean it's it's that it's that kind of thing. It's like yeah, I I am I am terrible in that I 
when I, I, I latch on to a character or a world or a story, I don't want it to end. Mm. So it's funny. Uh, I'm friends with Beyond the Trope. They're, they're another podcast here locally, uh, Giles, Michelle, and Emily. And Giles and I both play PS5. And I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn forever. <laughs> I haven't finished it because I don't want the game to end. And mm-hmm. then he just recently picked it up for like 10 bucks and he's blowing mm-hmm. through it. And now I feel pressure to finish the game, but I don't want to finish the game. Even mm-hmm. though I know there's a sequel, I don't want it to end. Like I, And that, that tends to be me with like if I get into a series, I will buy every single fucking book in the series. Uh, I will go through all like the uh, uh, Bujold, the for Kosigan. Lois McMaster right? Bujold. Mm-hmm, yeah. 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 I, oh, I like I, it was just like every single time I'm hitting, hitting, hitting and getting as many of those as I could get trying to get them all, you know, because I'm into the character now. I'm into the world. I want it. And so I think that that ends up being a thing with people like they they if a novella is really, really good and the characters are great, and the world's great. They don't want it to end. That's why they want it to be a little bit longer. Let's play psychologist with Patrick here. Um, I'm wondering, no, in all seriousness, and and I think there's a bigger conversation that the three of us could have here too. I wonder if that is in some way an extension of the fact that you grew up on comic books. I did grow and up on comic books. Comics are, unless you know, there, there, there's definitely plenty of of tales of comics that you know didn't find the audience that the that the publisher wanted them to and they pulled the plug on them very early in their runs but there are also lots of legacy comics that have been going on for decades and they'll do a refresh of a brand or a reboot of a timeline or you know do a new timeline or or whatever to kind of change things up and get away from some of that kind of previous choices in your narrative have locked you out of other choices thing that we were talking about before um but I, but it does set up the kind of expectation of like I can eternally have a relationship with Clark Kent or Peter Parker mm-hmm. or whoever because they they will just sort of always be there. I will I will throw that back even further. I you know I grew up in a house where it was my mom and my grandmother, right? And so Graham's always had her stories on. So By which we mean the soaps. Reading, yeah, yeah. So even before yeah. I was I was <laughs> I was reading comic books when I got home from school. We had one TV. Grams controlled the TV. <laughs> and so, you know, I was getting, uh, as the world turns, uh, uh, Young and the Restless. She was a CBS person. So it was Young and Restless, uh, As the World Turns. Uh, I forget what the other one was. But there, there was like three or four that was in there that she would watch every day. And it's the same thing, right? So so look at it this way. You got soaps that appeal mm-hmm. to a certain audience. Then sure. you got, and I'm a, this, this one's going out to you, Tracy wrestling oh Who in yeah. your house is watching wrestling right now right <laughs> david he, as a watching. treat for deirdre has bought her tickets to go see aew in chicago and yeah. in, in a week and a half so yes and, and, and what is what is that except it's a, it's in soap opera it's another mm-hmm. soap opera that just goes oh on it's, forever. it's shakespeare oh, for right. masses yeah. yeah yeah it's for the groundlings <laughs> and then you throw in comic books and mm-hmm. and you've got all these different and that's that that is what it's training us to be like invested in these characters forever yeah. And, and to your point, yeah, like I could probably pick up uh, a Peter Parker, a Spider-Man comic book right now and I could read it as long as it wasn't about those fucking clones because I hated them. <laughs> I hated that entire storyline. I was so pissed. Like I did not like the clone storyline. So yeah. but like anything else, like I could probably just jump right in yeah. and right back in it and, and reading it and enjoying it. Uh, I wouldn't because it's it's it becomes it becomes an obsession with me and it becomes a lot of money for me. Um, yeah, yeah. When I get back into those things. So, yeah, so Fonda, I, I, what was the media? That, what was the media that trained your appetite for stories? Do you oh think? gosh! I mean, first and foremost, it would be books. I was just a voracious reader when I was a yeah. kid, and was in the library all the time, and you know, would be the last kid picked up by their mom when the library closed. So, yeah. books, absolutely. When I was a kid, um, and definitely like all the science fiction, fantasy stuff, Pradane and Narnia, and then Dragon Riders of Pern and Asimov and all that. Um, so. I, I do feel like that is my primary story medium because of my childhood. Um, but then, then it would have to be then then it'd have, probably have to be television. It would be like Saturday morning cartoons, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the the stuff that you read when you're a kid, I think has a pretty formative effect on you. I mean, obviously, I was reading spec fic, but also I read all those um, like animal adventure stories. Old Yeller and and My Fire oh, yeah. Mountain and Julie of the Wolves and that absolutely had an impact on 
know, why I ended up writing Untethered Sky was kind of a fondness, this nostalgia for those kinds of um, stories. Where kids understanding like, between character between creatures that are fundamentally alien to each right, other. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, to me, they felt like fantasy adjacent because mm-hmm. I'm by no means a like survival in the wilderness kind of person. <laughs> so the idea of like a kid going off and trekking off into the wilderness with their animal companion and surviving and building forts and stuff was was very much like fantasy to me. Um, and and so th- those were both sitting very comfortably in sort of my wheelhouse of stuff when I was a kid. But it's interesting, you know, Patrick, that you mentioned this idea of like stuff that um, is that that kind of like eternal story, right? Of or the the way that comics and soaps like just continue to go, um, yeah. because I think there is this they get away with it with like I mean, comics you have characters die and they resuscitate, and then there's alternate universes, and so there's just you never feel like you're boxed in necessarily by previous events. Um, and you, what you said reminded me of um, something that I learned in my short stint writing um, comics for Marvel. I did a, a short run um, of Shang-Chi mm-hmm. um, with uh, co-writing with Greg Pak. And I remember at one point I was like writing something and there was a character, actually, no, this was for a, a, a different little project for Marvel where I was writing an Iron Man adjacent story. I said, well, there was a character in this piece I did that like had died and so I asked my editor, I was like, well, okay, but they died. Like, do I have to address this? And they're like, no, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Basically, like the way Greg described it when he was explained to me was he was like, we're, we're dancing between the raindrops. Like there's always like a, a continuity or a loophole that you can exploit in order <laughs> yes. to like tell the story that you want to tell with these characters. The story is yeah. actually set 10 minutes before he died. Right, right. Yeah. So, there, it, but it was as a novelist, that really was a different way of thinking um, because I am very uh, tied to like the, the, the decisions that I've made narratively and the continuity and making sure there's consistency and like the characters as well, the world and all the events. Um, and I think that is, um, that's one reason why, you know, I like stories that end like I, for yeah, me personally, yeah. I like stories that come to a satisfying conclusion and don't feel like, they've worn out their welcome. I mean, I'm also sort of have that, that terror of be, of being, you know, the fantasy writer that like ends up <laughs> with the, with the unfinished series, the unfinished or, series, right? Like yeah. the specter that looms over us fantasy authors. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think any fantasy author has to worry about that as long as Brandon Sanderson's around. But anyway, um, like he'll just come in and finish it. They'll, they'll hire him. Yeah. But, uh, uh, the other one is Doctor Who, obviously, that mm-hmm. also goes on. But uh, I'm going to I'm gonna give a spoiler for Star Trek Lower Decks. If anybody hasn't seen Star Trek Lower Decks and wants to see it, there's three seasons currently. There is a fourth coming. Uh, fast forward like five minutes. But I love how they handled a character death. There was a character who died in season one. And then in season two, like someone's walking around. They're like, holy fuck. Didn't, didn't they die? How are they back? And they go, oh, we don't talk about that. What do you mean we don't talk about that? <laughs> well, we're lower decks. They're they're bridge crew. Like we don't know what's going on. Like it just happens, dude. Just let it go. And this guy's like, I can't. I can't let it go. I have to know. And and then it becomes like this big thing throughout the whole episode where like he wants to know, but it's like a taboo. You don't ask the bridge crew how they came back to life. You know, it's not a like. You just don't do that. And eventually he gets he gets in a turbo lift with him. And he's like, I have to know. I have to know. And the guy's like, well, if I tell you this, you know, this this is going to haunt you. This is the reason we don't talk about it is because it is so fucking messed up. Like, this is really messed up shit. I, I'll tell you if you want to know, but I have to know. I have to know. He's like, OK. So there I was, and I saw the koala on the mountain in the light. And and it's like this weird thing. And then they just they kind of focus in on the character who wanted to know, and he just starts sweating. And you don't even hear the rest of it. He's just sweating, and his eyes is like this. And then later on the episode, they're like, did you ever find out how he came back? No, no, I didn't. And I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I know nothing. I loved it. It was, it, 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 it's kind of like that thing. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, they're just back. They're just back. Don't, you don't, know, where I think we're so trained by like a lot of, um, of, of like character resuscitation or, or character resurrection yeah. that I have, I still have readers who have told me I've some deaths in my mm-hmm. books, some 
some characters die. Sure. Spoiler to anyone who hasn't read my books. Uh, but <laughs> I'm assuming so coming back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely have had readers who have told me that like they kept expecting certain characters to come back. And they'd be like, by the time they reached the end of the third book, they were like, I, I don't. I don't think they're coming back. <laughs> there's, there's just one other side to this page, and I there's it would take a lot more writing it, than this to cover them, that. It, <laughs> it took people a while because yeah, you know they, they've seen it happen plenty in other stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's a whole times, other. As you can oh. say, like how many times the doctor has died and come back, or the master has died and come back, and yeah, yeah, Doctor Who, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, too, about the whole, like, we have to write death so death matters thing. And, like, if you, that's, there's, there's real value in that. But also the, there's that line that can be crossed when trying to sort of prove your case. Or like, we have, to, we have to write death so that death matters. That suddenly things start turning into their own kind of, like, uh, grim, dark, destructo porn uh, within, within the course of the narrative. And so that, that, too, requires its own kind of moderation. Like, why... Why is this character dying now? Like, why? What does it mean that they're gone? What is it going to affect in the rest of the narrative? Do I need them to die in this particular way? Like, do you know? It's that because there is this awareness as a writer, particularly once you're writing books that have found their audience and you're continuing to write within that. Um, you know, whether it's in service to this narrative of a larger series or in the case of, you know, Untethered Sky, people are, are grabbing it because they're interested in the premise and they're interested in Fonda Lee. They, they know what a Fonda Lee book can feel like. And so you have kind of a implicit pact with them right, about right. what what are the do's and don'ts of this sort of text. And so that that means that everything that you've done before that your readers may be familiar with as a writer can potentially still matter, even for a narrative that has nothing to do with other work and stands alone. They're like, no, the character dies in a Fonda Lee book. I'm, I'm seriously worried. Like that, mm-hmm. that's going to mean something differently than, mm-hmm. than if mm-hmm. it had happened elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, that that is a, a challenge and sort of a constant consideration for us as authors is, you know, what are what expectations do we set for our readers? Um, and I think one of the reasons why, you know, I did pivot to something quite different after the Greenbone Saga was um, at least, you know, f- sort of in the early mid part of my career, I want to signal that I'm going to do a bunch of different stuff. Um, like if I, I could immediately jump into going uh, and writing another big chonky epic, um, which I'm sure would make my publisher happy, but like I, I also needed like for my own stamina and um, satisfaction sure. as a writer, you know, I think sometimes you do need to be some, I, I know writers who, who can do the same thing over and over again in terms of they stick with one genre or one series and that's their one series and they do it over and over again. Um, but for me, at least personally, I like to have a variety of things. And I think um, if you are an author who does want to you know, work in, in different types of stories or even different mediums or genres, that is something that you kind of have to be constantly balancing within your own career of like when, where, when and where do I move and how do I, you know, how do I signal to readers that I, that I'm going to be doing a few different things and hopefully they come along with me, but you know that some of them won't, but right. maybe you'll find some new readers. Um, there's people who I'm sure love the Greenbone Saga who don't enjoy Untethered Sky, but there's going to be some readers who pick up Untethered Sky because um, it's it's accessible and it's the first thing of mine that they've ever read, um, yeah. and that might lead them to other work. So yeah, it's there's no kind of right answer, um, but but yeah, I, I think that over time, I like to believe that over time, everything that you write is kind of unified by your own writerly ethos and and what's you know what particular traits that you bring to that work, even if it's not necessarily like within the same series or even the same medium or genre. Yeah. I, I've, I've had several conversations with Shauna McGuire and uh, she, she's told me that, that there's been times when, when, you know, before people kind of knew when she would go to conventions and stuff and she would be there as Mira Grant Right. And, 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 and but she would have Shauna McGuire stuff too. And people would, not be able to uh-huh. reconcile. They go, yeah. They go yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love Mira Grant books. These are the best right, things right. I've ever written. And I hate Shauna McGuire books. 
Uh-huh. And they couldn't reconcile that. Like they, they just yeah. couldn't. It, it was breaking their brains that they would love Mira Grant or, and hate Shauna McGuire, or vice versa. They would right. love Shauna McGuire and hate Mira Grant, and right. and and that just blows my mind too. Like that, yeah. that that is so difficult. I I kind of feel like I like writers get typecast, just like actors do. Right. Mm-hmm. So so you write this big, as you keep saying, chonky fantasy series like you, you you write something like that. And then that's where you're pigeonholed. That's where people think that's what you're supposed to do. But you want to write maybe a science fiction thing mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it's like to your point, only so many people are going to come with you. And then you got to yeah. find a new audience for that. And then yeah. sometimes when you find that new audience, they go back and read the other thing. Right. And enjoy it. It's, it's so weird. I think in fairness to, to your achievements, though, Fonda, you've already kind of dodged the pigeonhole several times. Like you've, yeah. you've sort of <laughs> exactly. been sticking and moving as an author from the beginning because you began in science fiction yes. uh, before moving into fantasy. And and that the fantasy work that you've done is markedly, substantively different from one another, you know, between EXO and Crossfire and Zero Boxer mm-hmm. and just, you know, even writing for different age groups um, yeah. that you know, you're, you're speaking to very different audiences from the same self right. that you're, you're sort of inflecting for, for those purposes, yeah. which is fun and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my next projects um, are a, uh, another YA fantasy yeah. and a, um, a science, an adult science fiction um, so yeah, I'm going back to both science fiction in, on one side, my adult work, um, nice. which, and so yeah, I haven't, that is, I haven't done an adult science fiction novel yet. So that, that is, yeah. you know, the, my next, my next project and I haven't done a YA fantasy. So I'm doing that. So like I, between it's sort of, yeah, yeah, I keep, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. I keep <laughs> playing with the different quadrants and, and jumping around. <laughs> well, that is fun, and uh, we should finish with fun. So, picks of the week. You feel like it? I think picks of the I'll week. We are there. Picks of the week. All right. So, I'll I'll jump in uh, with picks of the week here for starters. And I guess I've got kind of a thing going right now because my my pick from last week uh, was well, kayaking, and specifically the kayak. My husband and I bought one for him and one for me. We've got separate kayaks, by the way, because we've learned that if we try to tandem kayak, we just fight because we hate each other's strokes. And so <laughs> we had to kind of for the for the health of the marriage. Um, and on the theme of the health of the marriage, uh, the day that we're recording is the day after my 21st wedding anniversary. Um, and so, Congratulations. Yeah, the marriage is old enough to drink and make bad decisions. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, at least legally now. Um, so we kind of decided to do the most Tracy and, um, and, and Husbeast imaginable kind of thing. And I give all credit to Husbeast for having planned this, um, because I'm terrible at planning fun outing type things with other adults. Cause I, I just am, um, but he, he did a little bit of homework and there's a place not too far from where we live that does ax throwing. Um, so we went and did what all 21 year old marriages need to do. We threw axes at targets, uh, in a thoroughly over competitive manner with one another. (laughs) Uh, the ax throwing place also had an archery range there, which was good for me because I used to teach martial arts and also used to teach archery. So because I proved to be not a fantastic ax thrower, I had to send him up at something. Um, so that did help a little bit, but if you, if you've seen, when you were doing the archery, when you were yeah, doing yeah. archery, before you shot an arrow, did you say, you have failed this city? <laughs> no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, so, sorry. So no, no, no arrow references there. Okay, okay. There were lots of references, though, to, to previously being a hero, a hero before taking a, a, an arrow in the knee, though. So don't worry. <laughs> we weren't reference free. Um, but yeah, if you've ever seen one of those places around for like, you know, it's got a bar and it's got axe throwing and thought like, who would even do that? The answer is me. And also I like it, but I am incredibly sore today because apparently my workout regime does not do enough with mid back <laughs> muscles. Um, and that overhand hatchet throw is, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, David, uh, David, the husband discovered that the one handed hatchet throw was sort of his move there. Um, and it is entirely possible that he was uh, getting a little bit too much in touch with his inner lumber sexual. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's my pick of the week. Go throw some axes somewhere. It was fun. I can attest to the fun of throwing axes. I've also done it once before. I think it was on vacation in British Columbia with um, my family and my brother's family, and we also. It seems like it would be the capital of throwing axes, British uh, yeah, Columbia. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was. It was very. Did they just like give you an axe when you show axe. up, and they're like, you have, you have <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We had a. We yeah, had a. There's not even. There's not even a target. You just kind of. They just give. Yeah, you Yeah, just axes. have one in case. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's a fly on the wall. <laughs> At work, we had planned a, a work outing, like a team building thing, where everybody was going to go do axe throwing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then COVID-19 happened. And so we um, had it booked, and then it all And then it apart, never and happened. We, no. And it never happened, and we never we never rescheduled. So that's funny. Fonda, do you have a pick yeah. Yeah. you would like to share? Yeah. Um, my pick is an anime called okay. Haikyuu. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Haikyuu, it is uh, an anime about a um, boys' high school volleyball team. And okay. my reason it's my pick is because I'm rewatching it. I have already watched it before. It was um, an a- it was a family activity to watch this anime during the pandemic. Um, we watched a lot of anime during the pandemic. That's how my family got through the pandemic. We watched a lot of anime. Uh, but the reason why um, this particular anime is really dear to me is because uh, it kind of changed my family's life. So um, my son got into volleyball as a result of ah. this, of watching this, um, this anime show. He had done like a bunch of different things. You know, he tried different sports and um, parkour and hip hop and all this different stuff. And uh, But he had never really kind of stuck to a particular team sport. And after watching um, Haikyuu, he just sort of started hitting volleyball um, in the backyard. And then he found a team to join and one thing led to another. And now he's like super competitive in it and going to nationals. <laughs> and like it, it wow. really, it became a big thing. And so now that I know quite a bit about the sport as a result of having my son play, rewatching Haikyuu is like this, it, it's, it's kind of a, a comfort watch, but also like it's very poignant. <laughs> oh, because it's it his has, origin story. It is. It is it's like yeah. an origin story. So, anyways, I I really enjoy it because it is like, first of all, very accurate to the sport. Like it's 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 not um, unlike a lot of anime, which is like super like crazy over the top powers and stuff. It's extremely grounded, but there's just. The, the characters are so well drawn and there's so much great like team drama and their their like you know journey to try and make it to nationals and anyways it's delightful what what uh what service are you watching that on crunchyroll crunchyroll mm-hmm. okay yeah my son has a, uh, his own crunchyroll subscription and he just goes in his bedroom and closes the door and he's gotta he's gotta catch up on his shows <laughs> uh, something from there's a new like well, it's not actually new. It's it's like thirty some years old. He's gotten into the live action, um, like Sabian kind of uh, things that are part of the kind of larger bone structure of stuff like Power Rangers and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, so, but these are the, these are the properties that were never imported into a Western market or sort of like reskinned for Western audiences. And so he has this kind of like weirdly anthropological interest in going back and watching all of this stuff. And, uh, he was walking home from, he works at a, a place that's about a mile from, uh, where we live and he had a late shift. And so I walked up there to meet him and, and walked back the other day cause there's nothing quite like having a 16 year old where like half the time they don't talk to you at all. But if you find mm-hmm. them in the right moment, they're like, and here's the story of my life. Patrick yes. knows this from <laughs> having met him last summer. Um, but anyway, he, uh, he and I were walking back and after work for whatever reason, he does his like thing and just sort of like tells me the story of his life. And it was just like, all of a sudden I know everything about this particular live action thing where somebody's got water powers and zombie powers on a belt and there's like they're belts they're, they're belts that give people powers and he was yeah all hell crunchy roll <laughs> i i remember going to my first comic book convention in in fresno my friend david and i went and we'd never been to one before we just thought it'd be cool it was kind of it was kind of a star trek slash comic book convention and uh our first like the first thing we saw was a guy in full borg like he was, he was completely dressed as a Borg, mm-hmm, standing mm-hmm. outside smoking a cigarette, 
and we thought that that was the weirdest thing we'd ever seen in our lives. And then we go inside and we're, this is our first experience with dealer tables. And on one of them, uh, I had, I had loved Robotech when it was on and on a table, I see a video and, and, and it, it's clearly the SDF one. And I'm like, Oh, this must be, but everything is Japanese on there. And I'm like, Oh my, like, like, what is this? And he's like, well, this is Macross. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's Robotech. And I ended up buying that for like 20 bucks. I also bought the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. We'll not talk about that. But um, <laughs> Young Patrick and, made choices. Yes. And I, and, I, and I take this home and I'm like, ah, like how is this Werbotech? What is this? I start watching it. And then there's nudity in it. And, I'm, and like my whole brain explodes because I'm like, wait a minute. What? And, and it was like it was like the first couple of episodes of Robotech, but it was a movie, but it was completely different because there's nudity and stuff in there. And that's when I found out that like Robotech was not Robotech. It was yeah. it was lots mm-hmm, of different mm-hmm. things that they put yeah. together. Because mm-hmm. I next thing I know, I, I I'm like 16 years old. I go in the comic book store and I'm like, what, what, how is this? And then you know the older people are telling me, yeah, that 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 was cobbled together from like seven different shows. <laughs> Uh, we will tell you the like, lore, young nerdling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, my pick is uh, actually an experience as well because Tracy was talking about experiences. I went to my first Major League Baseball game since they changed up all the rules. Oh, okay. And they added, yeah, with the pitch they clock. Added a, and... They added a pitch clock. They made the bases a little bit bigger. You know, they added all the stuff. Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was mm. so quick. Like if you, mm. if you're, I'm used to going to a baseball game and you're oh, going to be there for five, six hours. Yeah. I mean, that's why like baseball yeah. has always just been to me like the absolute worst spectator sport. So I'm fascinated. Now it's like, now it's like two and a half to three hours max. Like it went by so fast. I couldn't believe it because they are on a pitch clock. There's a pitch clock counting down and they, and it's, it never fails. They're down to two or one before they throw that ball. How long like do they have? I think it's a 15 second clock. Yeah, it's like 15, 20 seconds, something like that. It's Which is, long. if you think about, you know, 15, 20 seconds yeah, counting out one Mississippi, two Mississippi, yeah. it's, that actually is kind of a long quite, time. It seems it, like a long it, time. It limits, it limits, like, there. there's not the thing where they're standing on the mound and then they throw the ball to second base to try to catch the guy out. Yeah, there's less like, of the less of the. They base only have check. a couple of options of that before that timer runs, because the timer doesn't reset. It just keeps counting down. Right, right. <laughs> so it ended up being, it was a lot faster. Uh, it just, it, it was a great experience. Like, we, it didn't take up our whole day. We were able to do that. Like I got there for a one o'clock game and I'm heading to my car around four. That's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. It was insane. Uh, yeah. I will say one of, one of the, one of the things that they didn't expect that they ended up changing. So if you've, if you've been to a game seventh inning, they stopped selling beer, right? They stopped mm-hmm. selling stuff mm-hmm, like the concessions mm-hmm. closed down. They were losing so much money that they ended mm-hmm. up, extending that extending that right because <laughs> they were losing so much money because they didn't have that that the concession sales anymore because it's so quick um but it was a, it was a great experience i i really enjoyed it it was it was fast it's like it now it's something that you can it doesn't eat up your whole day you can just go to a game and it, by the way if it's a rockies game you can go dirt fucking cheap because no one's going to the games right now because they suck <laughs> but um <laughs> it it was just fun like it didn't it didn't cost me a lot i got a i got a couple of bottles of water while i was there and i got a hot dog because it's a you know it's a park thing but you know so uh, a couple of bottles of water uh, uh a hot dog and, and parking because the ticket was free because it was a work thing uh you know was like 50 bucks so it wasn't it wasn't horrible wow uh for a baseball game and uh it went really fast and it was fun so yeah Go to go check out a major nice. league baseball game. Right well now. played, major league baseball. That may yeah, actually be the first time those words have ever been spoken. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Fonda, it's been a blast having you on. So, where can people find? I know you're kind of doing an untethered sky tour book launch sort of promo thing. Where can people find you and and your work and untethered sky and everything? Uh, they can find it wherever books are sold. Uh, untethered sky also has a wonderful audio book. Um, that has recently released. So you can also um, check out the audiobook version if uh, you prefer that. Um, the, the tour itself is already done, so I'm, I'm done with public appearances for a little while. Um, I need to actually start 
Yeah, exactly. Start actually getting some other work done. Uh, but you can find me um, online. My website's fondalee.com. I'm still on, uh, on the Cursed Bird app at Fonda J. Lee and on Instagram at Fonda.ly. Um, and uh, you can find my books uh, wherever they're sold. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Patrick. All good things. Here we are, at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode, or any of our episodes, on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast, and it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Other than that, huh, what do we think about Mando season three? Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.